Emil, the poll results are in from yesterday's should Steve Hansen's passport be revoked that we put on Instagram. And do you want to know the results? No, wait, actually, firstly, what side did you come down on again? Should his passport be revoked? I do not think his passport should be revoked. The story here, of course, being that Steve Hansen, the World Cup winning coach, is helping the Wallabies mm. to prepare for this year's World Cup. Uh, no, I don't think that his passport should be revoked. In fact, I would go so far as to say, I think this sort of thing should be encouraged. The free flow of information and expertise across countries uh, is a good thing. And so is the dismantling of parochial attitudes such as this New Zealander can only work in New Zealand for the rest of his life. That's hmm, my story. I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of parochial attitudes. Not necessarily in every circumstance, <laughs> but when it comes to rugby, when it comes to trans-Tasman rugby, yeah. we can't have a man who we uh-huh. made a sir of this country go and take the reason that he uh-huh. is a sir for services to rugby over to that country. Oh, it's a shared, shared commonwealth, no, isn't it? shared you know, commonwealth. Just... <laughs> well, unfortunately for me, Instagram agrees with you quite strongly. 93% of people say, nah, it's fine, versus 7% that are really? angry like me. Wow, 93%, goodness gracious. Yeah, okay. look at those parochial attitudes being dismantled, eh? Anyway, let's get to today's show. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Jess, and this is what's worth talking about. Political donations to National are 7.5 times higher than Labour. Does that create an unfair advantage? Also, we speak to the scientist who recreated a Pink Floyd song using the brain signals of patients listening to it. Why tough financial times for our primary sectors can be blamed on China. And here's a question. Who out of us two would make the best stand-up comedian? Actually, I regret saying that because it could well lead to news for civil war. Anyway, we test out some of the best jokes from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Knock, knock, and all that coming up here in a moment on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. We are now more than a month into the election campaigning period, as evidenced by the smorgasbord of eerie, grinning political billboards that are going up all over the place right now. And campaign season, it's an interesting time. It's the time when the political parties really start to tap into their savings accounts and put their political donations to use. So who's got the biggest war chest heading into 2023 and what do they actually use it for? Joining us to chat a bit about this is Tim Kuna, Associate Professor at Auckland Law School. Kia ora, Tim. Thanks so much for joining us. Kia ora, Jess and Emil. Thanks for having me. So we learnt that National actually gets 7.5 times the donation that Labour gets. But Tim, what do those donations actually get spent on? One of the main issues is when they get spent, okay. because there's a regulated period, right, of the of the election period. And so the limits that we have in Aotearoa, New Zealand, apply during that regulated period. But even during the regulated period, money could be spent on polling or venue hire, transportation for events, that sort of thing, without even triggering the limits. But I, I would say the main thing is election advertising. Tim, do, do we have any idea as to how much money in donations the political, the main political parties have actually brought in at this point in the electoral campaign? One of the more striking things about the data, I think, are the disparities, right? So if the minor parties, the smaller parties are raising less than a million and the major parties are uh, you know, raising into the tens of millions and so on, we're very far from an equal playing field. 
and our elections start to look a bit like an economic marketplace. Isn't that always the same, though, Tim? I mean, I think in the 2020 election, National and ACT both raised more money than, than the Labour Party. That doesn't necessarily mean that they win every election, though, does it? No, it doesn't mean they win every election. There are many factors, of course, but money influences a number of those factors, right? So money influences the notoriety of a political party, how many people know about it. Money influences their ability to say, here's what the important issues are. So no, I mean, money is far from the only thing, but it starts to look like something you really need, you know, and you need a lot of it. And the more of it that you have, the more powerful you become. How does our system compare to the likes of the US, Tim, where you hear a lot about the super PACs and you have all these attack ads and that really kind of seems like the Wild West? Where does New Zealand compare on that kind of spectrum? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, the US does seem like the Wild West for sure. However, it has pretty strict donation limits and it also has a ban on corporate and union contributions directly to parties and candidates. And... Um, New Zealand doesn't have either of those things. I think New Zealand democracy is highly, highly vulnerable to this undue influence of wealth. This is an area where there is often clamour for reform. Indeed, I think the uh, Independent Electoral Review had some comments to make about political donations. What's your take on, on how things are positioned at the moment and whether there is space for reformation in some areas? New Zealand's in this kind of um, constitutional moment right now. We're in this moment where these big questions could be re-examined. And so you mentioned the independent panel that's doing some of this review of electoral law in New Zealand, and they recently published their interim recommendations. And among those recommendations are a, a donation limit. So we don't presently have that, but the independent panel has proposed limiting donations to $30,000 per electoral cycle, limiting the lawful donations to registered voters. So only people could make those donations of up to $30,000. And I think those recommendations are spot on, but that's because I think democracy should be a political community. I think it should be a civic space. I don't think it should be a shopping mall or a crowd of elite investors calling the shots behind the scenes. Tim Kuna, Associate Professor at Auckland Law School. Thank you so much for your time. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, take care. The best jokes of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival have been released and we shall act them out for you shortly. But do let us know first, what is your best one-liner? You can find us on TikTok or Instagram to search up Newsable NZ or you can flick your joke or perhaps even a recording of you performing a joke to newsable at stuff.co.nz. Now, we reached into our bulging sack of crazy science stories and had a feel around, and boy, did we pull out a doozy today. What's the headline, please, Emil? The headline is, Scientists use AI to reconstruct Pink Floyd using the brain activity of surgical patients. Yes, it is like a university press release bingo over here. And while this might sound interesting, but also kind of academic, technological mumbo-jumbo, this research could have serious real-life implications for people who don't have the ability to speak. Joining us now to explain a bit more is Bob Knight, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of California, Berkeley. Bob, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's a treat having you here. Yeah, well, thank you for your interest in our work. 
tell us some, so that, you know, this is a nice headline as evidenced by the fact that you're now talking to a podcast in New Zealand about this research. But can you please explain in as accessible language as you can, what did you folks do here? We treated the electrodes that were placed on the brain of patients. These are patients who have uncontrolled seizures. We're putting the electrodes on to see if we can find the area to surgically uh, remove it and control them. Treat each electrode on the surface of the brain as a piano key. When the sound comes in, we're trying to think that this electrode responds to this frequency. You know, if you think about it, that's what we're doing. We're reading the piano keys of the mind. And we've done it before for words, and now we've done it for music. And, you know, you might ask why music. We've made some progress, but the output is more robotic in the sense you would say, I love you versus I love you. Adding the musical component of brain activity can allow us to, I think, provide more prosody and emotion. So in terms of what you did, Bob, you played these patients a song, analyzed their brainwaves, and then synthesized those brainwaves to kind of make a version of that song that they listened to back again? Yes, you know, exactly. Uh, you know, we use machine learning. Basically, we're using various, you know, regression when AA is related to B. We're doing multiple regressions, trying to find out what pattern of electrical activity in this electrodes over auditory regions matches the actual sound they heard at that moment. You might say, why would, did we pick Pink Floyd for the patients? We all like Pink Floyd. <laughs> Maybe we're giving away our age. You know, and I, I always wonder when you're being interviewed about this. I do this kind of knew what happened. But if we had re reconstructed Frank Sinatra's My Way, if anybody would be <laughs> interested. But... And can we talk now, Bob, about the actual practical potential applications for this experiment in the real world? Well, I think the first thing is more conceptual in the sense that if you go to any country and you don't know the language, for instance, Flick in New Zealand, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but if you go to any if you go to any country and you don't understand the language and you hear their music, you'll appreciate the music. Right. Right. So music is universal. It crosses all cultures. It's a common bond. It precedes language. And we know with the patients with aphasia, which is very common, that's usually from a stroke in your left hemisphere, the patients who can't speak, actually they can sing. Mm -hmm. So what is going on? That means if you're both right-handed, 95% of right-handed people have language in their left hemisphere. But what we found is that music is represented in both hemispheres with a bias towards the right hemisphere. Mm -hmm. So that might give us a clue to understand how people can sing when they can't speak. And that could lead to even other assistive devices or new methods to, to treat patients. Truly fascinating stuff. That is Bob T. Knight, Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience at the University of California, Berkeley. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Nice to talk to both of you. And in case you were wondering what that reconstructed Pink Floyd song actually sounds like, here it is, another brick in the wall, reconstructed from brain signals. Up next, BNZ's Chief Economist Mike Jones chats about why our primary sector is seeing the downsides of having such a strong trading relationship with China. And hey, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, do chuck us a like and follow us on your favourite podcast platform. It helps other people find us. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, 
The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Well, more grey clouds seem to be gathering over the economic outlook with some pretty ghastly news for dairy farmers over payouts this season. And dairy isn't the only primary sector being hit in the pocket, and it's all pretty much seems to be tracking back, not to the situation here, but actually in China. The BNZ's chief economist, Mike Jones, has been writing about what's going on, and he's here for this week's The Pulse. Kia ora, Mike. Kia ora, guys. So all these poor predictions are actually blamed on an economic downturn in China. Well, there's probably a couple of things going on. The first is that some of the commodity markets that we trade in are relatively well supplied at the moment. The other factor is the global economy is still a bit of a trudge. Uh, We've sort of moved on from the global recession type worries, but things are definitely tracking below averages, particularly so in China, where demand is undershooting expectations, and that tends to have a big impact on us because we send about a third of our exports into China. Are there particular things about the Chinese economy at the moment that are, that are complicating factors? Well, it's a debate that's, that's gripping financial markets and analysts at the moment. Uh, look, we're probably not going to solve it over the next two minutes. but We'll give it a shot though, <laughs> won't we? Yeah, we can try. I mean, suffice to say, it, it basically boils down to a, a sort of crisis of consumer confidence where Chinese consumers are not spending They are saving their cash as they worry about the outlook in China. Now, you know, that doesn't sound like a problem per se. We're told in New Zealand all the time that we should save more. But at a macro level in China, what what it is doing is causing growth to sputter a little bit. There's less demand, uh, less commodity imports, and and growth has just not been strong enough to soak up spare capacity and and bring down what has been quite high unemployment, particularly youth unemployment Mm. in China. So what will the signs of improvement be once we see them, Mike? What are the green shoots here that we need to look out for to know things are on the turn? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to know. Uh, the run of economic data certainly in the last wee while has gone the wrong way. Our retail sales we saw last week down to about 2% annual growth from as high as 20%. Uh, only as recently as April, China's also in deflation. Mm. It's got negative uh, inflation. I think the thing that's probably surprised people the most, though, is the fact that the administration just hasn't thrown more kind of stimulus at the at the problem. We've seen that happen in the past. We're kind of used to seeing it. Some of our other trading partners, conceivably, that could happen at, at any time. So that's that's something to watch for. What does all of this mean for us, um, particularly in terms of the primary sector and our wider economy, I suppose? China is easily our largest export market when it comes to the primary sector. And I think if you think about dairy alone, mm-hmm. uh, the lower milk price forecast that we're talking about, or people are talking about at the moment, compared to, say, last season, that alone is going to pull about $2 billion out of the economy. The other thing you know, for farmers is that it's not just lower revenue, it's the fact that they've had their costs inflated a whole lot over the last couple of years mm. as well. We know commodities are really cyclical. Uh, we're certainly in, a, in that downturn at the moment, but 
uh, you know, we will see things turn up at some stage for some of those uh, commodity exports. And I think, you know, the medium term picture is still relatively solid. There we go, cyclical commodities. It's going to come up eventually. The BNZ's chief economist, Mike Jones, with The Pulse. Thanks so much for joining us, Mike. It's always a pleasure. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the time has come for the newsable comedy face-off based on the funniest jokes of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. That's the famous uh, comedy festival over in Scotland. Many Kiwi comments actually go and have made big big waves over there, especially Rose Matafeo. Mm-hmm. Um, she won the she won the best joke of the of the festival a couple of years ago, didn't she? No, she won the best show, best even show. bigger. Oh, yeah, Rose, love it. Um, so these are the best jokes. Let's just go through some of the top ten, eh? Because I, okay, I personally good. think that some of the rest of the top ten were better than the eventual winner. So I very much, I agree. With I very you. much enjoyed Bennett Aaron's joke. I entered the how not to surrender competition, and I won hands down. See, that's classic. Yeah, that's good. All right, my turn. Last year I had a great joke about inflation, but it's hardly worth it now. Hey. Economy <laughs> and humour wrapped into it's one. It's funny, Amos exactly. Yeah, it's funny and also depressing because it's true. Um, okay, some linguistic puns here. Uh, how do celiac Germans greet each other? How? They say Guten Tag. Hey. Gee whiz, that's, that's quite brutal. All right, and who has earned the right to read the best joke of the Fringe? Well, it's your last show today, oh, so right. please see us out in style. Let me do the honours. Okay, I started dating a zookeeper but it turned out he was a cheater. <laughs> See, it's not bad, and I laughed the first time I heard that, but I think some of those ones that we read afterwards are actually funnier. But that was Lorna Rose Treen. She won that. She did admit herself it was quite a stupid joke, but she she glad she was glad that people liked yeah, it. Yeah, Um But yes, that is my last show for Newsable. Imogen will be back in your ears tomorrow. Thank you for being so accommodating, uh, having me intrude for the last week. I've very much enjoyed myself. How dare you talk about accommodating and intruding? Jeez, you've been an absolute joy. You've been a total blast. Um, stepping into Imo's shoes has been a real delight having you on the show. So, um, yeah, thanks very much and uh, look forward to next time. Thank you. And I hope Imo forgives me for the uh, Fun Fact Friday loss. We don't need to mention that. We don't need yeah. to mention that. We'll just pretend it didn't happen and hope that she doesn't, <laughs> yeah, I hope she doesn't listen when she's on holiday. Oh, that is news of all for today. I'm Jessica McCarthy. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you tomorrow. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.